Good afternoon. This is Lee Edwards with the Chicago Defender, and we are here to talk more about education in Illinois. Who do I have the pleasure of being here with today? Hello, um, my name is Chanel Bell, community organizer. Hi, my name is Taylor Beal. I'm also a community organizer. And my name is Jay Jenkins, and I'm also a community organizer. Three community organizers in one space. How rare is that? Mm. Not that rare. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of community organizers in Chicago. Three black female community yeah, organizers. Yeah, there we go. Now I'll we're... take you. I'll take you for that. Three black female. Awesome. Exactly. So... On the state of what state of the education funding and all things that are happening in Illinois, where are we now? The summer is here. Are we have we made any progress in terms of educational funding? Who should we begin? have we have made progress. So Senate Bill one passed through the House and is waiting for the governor's approval. Um, Senate Bill one is basically um, a research based model for educational equity where it's closing the adequacy gap between all of of the districts in Illinois. And so it's not just, you know, um, just because you have a higher population, you get more money. It's need-based. Like, whoever needs the money gets the money. And um, right now, we're just waiting on the governor's approval, but there is hesitation that he might veto the bill um, for other interests that he is seeking before he signs it. Yeah, and so the Senate, um, it did pass, it barely passed in the Senate too. The Senate put the bill on hold, so it's actually, like, not at the governor's desk. Um, what they're trying to do is stall and basically give legislators time to learn about the bill, also give the governor time to learn about the bill, but also, you know, put pressure in case, let's say, um, once they have to put it on his desk, he decides to veto it. It would need to be overridden by um, uh, the House and uh, the Senate. I mean, yeah, the Senate. And so right now um, is a good opportunity for legislators to learn about SB1. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard about, like, the rhetoric, though. Some um, legislators have been calling it a Chicago bailout, and that's just not true. Um, every child in Illinois will benefit from this. And as Taylor was saying, um, it's looking at so many different factors, like, the number of low-income students, um, the number of English language learners, diverse learners, um, the money needed to ensure that classroom size is smaller, um, looking at uh, out like after-school activities, everything. And so, like I said, it, it's a huge win because again, Illinois is the most inequitable in how it funds public education in the U.S. There's also a second option, well, third option, because he can pass it, he can veto it, and he can also add amendments to it, mm-hmm. um, enough so that it would need to be voted again, and some uh, legislators who uh, may miss the opportunity to vote, uh, missed on purpose, or voted no, could have a second chance, yeah. um, which could be beneficial to a certain party if they want to be on the right side of history. So uh, there's also that option that could happen. Yeah, and it's really, to me, it's interesting. Again, I'm from California, and Illinois politics is just... Me too! Yep, <laughs> West Coast, best coast. But right. um, <laughs> Illinois politics is just really strange. And so uh, the Secretary of Education has stated that Rauner likes 90% of the bill, 
Um, he just doesn't like the other 10%. And that 10% is why he would veto it, which is crazy because you would think if I get 90% of like something that I like, I'm, I'm going to roll with it, especially in politics. So I'm hoping that he has a change of heart and sees how, again, this is a benefit for everyone and it's not a Chicago bill at all. Yeah, and yeah. there's also just personal relationships between politicians that come and play with this as well um, that has held up the process. And I'm just hoping that, you know, the people who do have the power to make this happen um, realizes it's realizes it's about the kids and it's not about another politician um and that has been holding us up as a state for a a very long time and it's time for that to end yeah so there's another bill Mm -hmm. um sb 1124 or hb 4069 which is very comparable to SB1. However, if SB1 passes, it's better for CPS, which makes sense because CPS is the third largest district in Illinois, right? Like we have a huge... Oh, um, if you could say that, we have Mm -hmm. a huge population of kids that we need to service, especially low-income communities. So it would make sense that people would want to pass this bill because if Chicago benefits, everyone benefits. But I do understand... um, certain perspectives you know it's like I already have a set amount of money we're overperforming I don't want to take from that because I don't know how well we will do with without it we haven't had to do that in the past so I get it but if we pass SB1 CPS will get additional millions of dollars throughout the tiers compared to the other bills that I mentioned and it's just it's, it's better for all kids not just Chicago and so my issue with SB 1124 is it was just put together um, after the legislative session ended uh, by a Republican caucus. And so SB 1 is three years in the making of bipartisan work. And so I, I would take something, again, that has been worked on by both parties for three years over something that was put together by one party in three weeks. It doesn't make sense. Um, and as far as like CPS benefiting, again, it's the third largest school district in the country. Um, there's a, slightly under 400,000 kids here. So of course, a good chunk of you know money will be coming to the state. And I mean, to the city, which has, again, historically been disadvantaged fiscally, so. And a lot of, there's a lot of rhetoric, um, negative rhetoric about Chicago that has been in existence for quite some time and is even more prominent when it comes to this situation where certain legislators are holding up the process or or not getting in line because of feelings that they have about Chicago as a whole. And that that is disheartening to hear, um, period, because one, we're a state. <laughs> um, so any city's children are your children. And that should be... Um, the thought process when working on these kind of bills and policies is because right now there's such a separation. Mm -hmm. It's like Chicago and us when it's all of it is us. The whole state is us. Um, So it's really, really disheartening to hear certain politicians who are um, creating that division uh, because education it, everyone deserves it. Everyone in the nation, everyone in the world deserves it. So you trying to hold it back um, from a certain city because of your personal feelings about the politics around it or you thinking that we get a lot. Um, yeah. I don't think that's the truth at all. And I would 
beg to uh, say that a lot of students don't feel the same way. So, yeah. What about these reports coming in about the status of Illinois' credit? How does that impact all of these proceedings? Because it seems like every news um, report seems to be worse and worse. It seems to be to showcase the situation of education in Illinois as dire. It's all interrelated. So Illinois is on pace to become the first state in the United States to have junk credit, um, which is sad. Um, and so when you think about the budget and education, I mean, it, 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 it just makes me wonder, like, who are we electing, to be honest? Like, who are these people in power who would just let it get this bad? Um, our governor, who was supposed to be like the champion of education, um, it's really disappointing because we know we need a budget ultimately to fund schools, and schools have been backlogged. So I don't know if you've seen in the news how um, like there's over a billion dollars of backlog, and so many school districts downstate are talking about they don't know if they can open next year. So all this is interrelated. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I, I I wouldn't put the blame on the governor. Totally. I mean, yes, he is accountable for the state, and yes. However, there are other politicians who have been in office quite longer than he has. This is only his first term, and I mean, I kind of got to commend him for not budging when pressure has been placed on him. However, he is responsible. This is the third year we've gone without a budget, right? And I mean, put the self-interest aside, put put the pride aside and do what's best for kids like teachers are leaving I was a former teacher I'm no longer teaching anymore because I have to make a greater impact for my kids where I can't do it inside the classroom anymore like I need to advocate for them in other ways besides making sure they have a test score because that's no longer that's no longer the case that's not going to get them to and through is that common teachers leaving to advocate or go to other fields well actually all three of us (laughs) yeah um were former teachers and all three of us were former teachers in Chicago Mm -hmm. Um, and so that does speak volumes that there are three teachers in this room who are now three community organizers why is that because somebody had to stand up and say something and um, what I'm finding is a lot of people who are standing up and saying something actually don't have that background in the classroom that I think often um, informs my work and informs my my advocacy because there's certain experiences that I have that are really 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 important to to talk about when there are certain people saying that every IEP is fully funded well I actually know firsthand that not every IEP is fully funded because I've had IEP students in my class that were not getting the needs, um, getting the the tools that they needed that was mandated by their IEP. So there Could is a discrepancy. Could you explain what the IEP is for those who are... Yeah, Individual <laughs> Educational Plan. Thank you. Yeah, so I know we spoke a little bit about that uh, yes. last um, last time we spoke, but that's a big thing um, that people are talking about in Chicago as well. If you go to the Board of Education meetings that happen once a month, um, you will hear 
a whole bunch of parents and teachers going up to the board and saying, hey, my student's IEP is not being fully funded, but yet you keep saying every month that they are being funded, fully funded. What? Why is there such a huge discrepancy between the people who are uh, setting policy or setting the budget and the people who are actually supposed to be receiving the benefits of that? Um, that means that one party is actually not being told truly uh, truthful. Yeah, I I just don't get like, where else can you just not pay your bills? Like, if I don't pay my bills, I'm gonna be homeless. And so when I look at the governor and the other politicians, and yeah, I agree this is his first term, but um, I'm just looking at the domino effect. And CPS is what billion dollars in debt now, and they just borrowed, they just took out <laughs> another huge loan, huge huge interest rates. And at the end of the day, it's the schools that suffer, suffer and it's the taxpayers. So you can't tell me you care and you're like, I'm looking at his actions and other politicians actions. Mm-hmm. If you really care, pass a budget, pass SB1, sign, I mean, sign it once it gets to your desk and, you know, put your money where your mouth is. So one of the things that stood out before we talked is about the role of black male teachers and also just the diversity of teaching in the classroom. One of the things that I hear a lot about is how some teachers have been there for years and years and years in different um, neighborhood schools. What is it like to jump into a new community as a teacher? I know it's really hard work, but for people who are still excited about teaching, how does that work? You have to go in there with an open mindset. You cannot, like I am a product of the Austin community and I formerly taught in the Austin community 10 minutes from where I grew up. And even though that is my my town, my neighborhood, my block, you cannot go in there thinking that you're going to save people. You cannot have the quote-unquote saver mentality. You have to go in asking questions and asking, what do you want to see in your community? How can I be a partner with you to make that happen? Because what I may think is best for the community is not what they want. And if they don't want it, they're going to push you out. And... Um, a lot of parents express like I want this for my kids I don't know how to get it so as an educator it's my opportunity to advocate for them and give them the tools necessary to get what they need for their kids what they deem is best and there's a big misconception that the savior complex only applies to white teachers coming into black communities or people of color communities and saving them although that is a very big issue that does happen across the nation with certain programs and some not even uh, people who go through programs um, often have that complex you can be of the same race of the same background and still have a savior complex Um, I'm black I taught and on the far south side where I actually went to preschool because even though I'm from California there was a time in my life when I was a child where I lived in Chicago, South Side, because of my family. And I did go to preschool in that neighborhood, same neighborhood. So I thought, well, I'm connected. I spent every summer here growing up. I have family who still lives in the same neighborhood. I'm black. Uh, my kids are black. There's going to be an automatic um, connection where uh, we'll be able to bond quickly and I'll be able to do the work I need quickly. But I had to, and I think I kind of mentioned this previously, I had to address my own privilege um, that I didn't really see. Uh, I saw that I had an economic privilege, but I didn't see that, oh, the fact that I went to college 
privilege. The fact that I have my own place privilege. There were so many other layers of privilege that I had to address to be able to come into the school more humbly than I needed to, to be able to have that real connection, that real impact, to know what I could do to get ready um, to be an, an agent of change. And that was a very, it was a steep learning curve that I had to um, go through that first year. It was necessary to my professional development and my personal development to really understand the complexities of of privilege um, in the same race. It's not just black and white. And we, we do talk about that often because yes, it needs to be talked about, but there's also differences within racial backgrounds and cultural backgrounds that also are super important um, in building relationships and especially a relationship in which we're trying to um, lift up a community. It has to be we are lifting up a community, not I who come from this background is lifting up this community. And it can be very slight. It's not something that is often very obvious in these kind of cases. It's something slight that you, you may not see but the people you're working with will and um, it's important to have that real um, conversation with yourself uh, before you can really get into rolling up your sleeves and doing the work with the people yeah Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I agree with both Taylor and Chanel I think um, for me as an outsider I knew me being black wasn't enough I'm bougie I, I, do, I already knew, so I'm like, look. <laughs> and so teaching on the west side, I knew, okay, I'm going to really need to immerse myself in the community. Now, I did not move to Austin, but best believe after school and on weekends, I was often with my students, hanging out over in the community. Um, for other reasons, I was walking around the community recruiting kids, but I was always engaging and talking to people in the community Um, And not just my students' parents. And so I think if you're an outsider, coming in with an open mindset is great. Um, If you're a person of color or you're white, no matter what your race or class is, you should definitely, again, join community organizations. Um, Make sure you're engaging with the community outside of school hours. Um, It could be as simple as, again, going to, taking kids to the library. You can join. I mean, like, Austin has so many community-based organizations, but, like, participating in a 5k race whatever you can do go to somebody's barbecue anything don't just come to work and leave because then you're not you're not a part of that community um i think if you are organizing in those communities definitely coming with an open mind it's so many organizations that think they know what people want and so they're like we're gonna push our ideas on you no listen talk to as many people have one-on-ones and really listen and I guess you know come up with a list of different issues and whatever you see it's being constantly repeated try try to be a part of that and even sorry no, and even ahead. more than having a research right uh not just like researching the school that you'll be teaching at but the community uh one thing that i've learned to do in my work as a community organizer is to build community maps so i know like what are the black owned businesses in the neighborhood that I'm going to be working in like the you know the the churches that they go to what kind of activities or community organizations around the school that are integral parts of these families that I'm going to be working with all year it's important to know your community I have met people who have been teaching for two years and can't 
name one of the black owned restaurants down the block <laughs> that everybody goes to because they literally get into their car outside of the school, drive home and do it all over again without venturing out, without driving around, without introducing themselves to the uh, small owned businesses in the in the neighborhood, without really going into the community centers that their families, their students all go to on a weekly, daily basis. That shows that you are not as committed as you really think that you are to these students, because if you did, you would do your research. Can I touch on one thing? And I know you want to go into black male teachers. Oh, no, 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 actually not at all. It just sparked an idea. So Chanel says something about black owned businesses, right? So that just connected something to me with school funding. School funding is supported by property tax. And if you are not contributing to the small businesses within the community, that money is not staying there. That money is then leaving. And therefore, your kids are not getting the support that they need because the money does not stay within the community. So there are a lot of apartment complexes that are not black or brown owned, and they are owned outside of the Chicago limits. And so that money that people are putting into those apartment complexes, to those landlords, are being taken away from Chicago. These small businesses are important. It's not just enough to know the names or to know the owners. Like we need to invest into these communities by simply grabbing a cup of coffee from a black owned business or just a business within a community helps. So now you want to talk about black male teachers. Oh wait, can I do wait, can I speak (laughs) on that too? Because that's some real, real um knowledge she just spit. Because I live in Hyde Park and there are a plethora of cafes, but there is a Starbucks um, in Hyde Park that is always packed. Mm -hmm. Yet, there is an amazing black-owned cafe called Sip and Savor. Love it. Which I love. That is uh, owned by a black male who is amazing. And I could easily make that choice to go to Starbucks and get that regular, you know, order that I've come to know my life, my whole life. Or I could get a fabulous cup of coffee, a fabulous pastry from Sip and Saber and know that I am actually walking the truth that I speak all the time. Uh, There's a lot of amazing, great black entrepreneurs um, in various uh, businesses that I see all the time in that Starbucks. And I wonder, I'm like, do you not know that a block away, literally, block away there's a sip and saver where you can continue continue to speak your truth by contributing to that black owned business or what what convenience are you actually placing on making that choice because they're right next to each other so you are not speaking you're not living out your truth so I want a lot of people to start really doing that living out their truth um, in every facet and especially when it comes to supporting black businesses yes one the well that's that's fine that's perfectly fine and one of the things that leads me into is you, you always touched on that a little bit is community organizing I hear a lot of people say that whether it be with Black Lives Matter or um, education or violence prevention or youth advocacy how do you get into or how do you begin the process of being community organizer do you just get up one morning and say I'm community organizer or how does that work <laughs> 
So And also um, how do you fund that? Because yeah. people would tell me they're community organized and I always think, Do you have a day job? Do you drive lift? How's this work? Nah. Yeah. So <laughs> we well I can speak. Yeah, we're all on the regional strategy team for Illinois Leadership for Educational Equity, and it has three sectors. One is the community organizing or just organizing leadership. The second is policy and advocacy, and the third is elected leadership. So we primarily um, engage into the organized leadership aspect of it. And we, we're in the communities. We have a group of teachers or just educators because we have all staff members from the school. Um, we have students come. Uh, high school students, middle school students attend. Um, a few lawyers are there. So we we have everything from the community just striving for educational equity, not just in Chicago, but Illinois. And it's nonpartisan, so it's not like, oh, we're all liberal and progressive. No, it's what is going to help these kids get what they need to make sure that they can go to and through college. It's not just about grades and a test score. They need to know how to have a conversation with each other when they're frustrated. They need to know how to build a resume. They need to know how to send an email to a professor if they're confused about a topic that was in the classroom discussion from the previous day, right? So as community organizers, the number one thing you have to do is establish trust. You establish trust by being vulnerable and transparent and sharing your experiences you can't go into a meeting and say so yeah tell me about your blackness tell me about your struggle without first knowing what the struggle is or even establishing your struggle so just for me as a community organizer i have to make sure that when i go into these meetings with the community members that i first tell them my background like yes I grew up on the west side of Chicago, and I was fortunate enough to have a wonderful education. Came with a nice $700 cost per month that my mom struggled and went bankrupt for, but I was able to get that. And now I've gotten my education. I've come back to my community to support, to help us. But the number one basis is trust and respect. That's what I have to tell about Well, that. previously to like this new age of like, activism and organizing community organizing was a role that was predominantly a volunteer role um so a lot of people were uh activists who were community organizers back in the day but they they did it because they just, who previously was an organizer in chicago but paid uh, was paid, yes. But because he was our president and people knew that background of him too, mm -hmm. um, there was a very much a big surge of community organizing roles and opportunities uh, across America because people, one, was like, that's something that you can do to get paid. And two, there was a need for it. Um, there's a lot of issues um, across the nation in the world, honestly, but uh, that that community organizing kind of help, very much helps at a local level to see immediate impact, um, and so it did become of trend um, after Obama was elected. So yeah. that there there has to have that that context. Um, I personally got into community organizing because I realized I was already doing that as a teacher. I was already uh, researching uh, community organizations, trying to get my parents involved, um, making those connections uh, to deepen my relationships with the parents of the families. That was a huge, the huge foundation of what community organizing was. 
And so when I was looking to transition out of the classroom, I knew the kind of impact and the kind of work that I wanted to do, but I didn't know if there was a role or a name for it. I had to do my research and find that actually what I want to do is be a community organizer. And so once I realized that that was the kind of civic engagement that I wanted to devote my life to, um, I looked for roles that did that. And that's how I found my current role as a community organizer for an education network. Um, after being an organizer for almost a year, um, I got more involved with ILEE, the organization that uh, Taylor mentioned, which is great because they were able to offer me uh, professional development to increase my skills and tools, my toolkit to be able to do that effective, impactful work that I do on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, which is super important. They have the great organizing uh, retreat. Is it a retreat? Mm -hmm. or, yeah, the organizing retreat that they have uh, was so um, really awe-inspiring to see so many uh, community organizers from across the nation being there and learning and sharpening their skills and sh sharing be best practices. Uh, they really support community organizers to do the work they want to do. Yeah. Um, so, like, just to add with the Obama uh, piece from Chanel, I think, yeah, post, or once Obama got elected and within his campaign, he utilized his organizing strategy across the country and that's what helped him get reelected and I think the Democratic National Committee was like all right we need to apply this and it became like cool and actually became a job you could get paid for um, so for me how I got into organizing is so I did um, teach for America here in Chicago I was teaching on the west side and when I realized how much politics and policy affect were impacting my classroom I knew I wanted to do more and if I really wanted to affect change I had to do it outside the classroom and I was lucky that I was able to connect with an organization with leadership for educational equity and do a community organizing fellowship through them and through that that's where I learned about Illinois for educational equity and so like now I get paid and organize and I then I voluntarily organize I literally organize like all day um, what's that look like for, uh, how the day starts <laughs> Start um, to finish, I guess. What, what do you mean? So, like, I, I, I work in, like, an eight-hour, nine-hour day as a mm -hmm. paid organizer for another organization, but through Leadership for Educational Equity, um, it, it's not every day. I don't want to make it seem like it's a, another job, but I, like, this weekend I just canvassed um, a part of Chicago slash a suburb with Illinois for Educational Equity mm -hmm. talking to constituents about Senate Bill 1. Um, so it just depends. Um, we as regional strategy team members meet once a month at least or twice a month to talk about like what different issues and how we're going to go about um, affecting change and impacting and what it, what's their next step and what actions we're going to take and so um, I'd say every day looks different. Um, Chanel's actually paid organizer too and her day doesn't look like mine. Sometimes I'm in school, sometimes I'm at community organizations. Today I was at an education law policy co conference and so um, literally every day looks different and it's kind of why I like it. It's very different from, well, teaching looks different, but I, I'm just not in the same space on the daily. Um, but what I was going to say um, before is if you want to get into organizing, I think you need to figure out what you're passionate about. Like for me, I'm like, all, I'm about women's health care, voting rights. I'm just like all over the place. So I really needed to narrow it down. And then luckily, or unfortunately, 
it's kind of like a good and bad thing in the age of Trump. There's just so many community organizations that are looking for organizers to talk about issues. I just got a text about an immigration policy the other day from um, another organization. So you could just research like community organizations organizing in my city in Chicago, whatever the issue it is, and contact them. And go to meetings. It's it's really easy. Um, I also wanted to get what Eileen's working on this year. Um, we have three issue action teams. I know you heard Jay talk about like what issues we work on. We have three issue action teams this year. One is about protecting undocumented families. The other one is the prison to school pipeline, disrupting that. And the third one is fair funding. <coughs> Sorry. And we earlier on uh, the school year, uh, what, I can't remember what month, month it was, but there was a January. Uh, January mm-hmm. Thank you. Uh, January, there was a big meeting where they had lots of Eileen members and just members in the community. Anybody who cared about what was going on in the world um, come to the to this meeting and actually vote on what should be the three issue action teams for the year. Um, because Eileen is really made up of people who care. It's not all educators. There's educators, there's lawyers, there's doctors, there's civilians who just are here who care. There's students, there's people who care. Um, And so it was great to have our teams be formed by the community Mm -hmm. uh, because we are a um, community-driven organization. And so that's, uh, I just wanted to give some more context uh, about the organizing that Eileen does and the teams that we are pushing for. And so if you want to get involved, please look us up because we are always looking for more members of the community who are just tired of sitting back and watching the news. Yeah. Um, how you get involved with uh, organizing is caring. Yeah. Caring to do the work, caring to get involved. Go ahead. Yeah. Do you don't have to be an expert in community organizing, right? Like, we all came from three different backgrounds. Like, yes, education was where we came from, but we all had different skills and, and knowledge bases that contributed to this work. So it's not just, oh, I have to have a background in community organizing. No, you, you can do just about anything and still contribute to educational equity in Illinois, but they also provide trainings, right? So I just came from a trip that was paid for by Eileen. Thank you very much. <laughs> greatly appreciate it. Um, to Denver, where we had individuals from South Louisiana, uh, Atlanta, um, Indiana, right? All over the U.S. coming together for a national organization workshop that taught us the basis of how to have a house meeting. What's the purpose? What strategies should you use? Or let's talk about um, media outreach, right? So they, they train you and they're willing to put to invest in people who are willing to do this work. So if anyone is discouraged and say, oh, that sounds like a big name, I don't know if I can contribute in a impactful way, but you can because I've never done this work. I didn't even know what the work was, what I was doing until I got involved with it. It just, I knew I wanted to make a change and that's why I got involved. And um, yeah, like Chanel said, anyone is welcome. We we will give you the tools necessary to do what it is that you deem is best. Yeah, and, and I also oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I also want to talk, talk, go back to your previous question about what the day to day looks like, because um, Jade spoke about her day to day as an organizer. 
my day is not a nine to five. Um, a lot of the things that I do are community based. So there's a lot of community events that happen, a lot of political events that I need to go so that I'm what stay informed. I build relationships with people who have positions of power or people who are ready to engage and do the work. And so that means there's events on the weekends. There's events at night. Um, and so you have to be passionate if you're going to go into this work as a career um, because there's going to be a lot of long days, a lot of late nights, a lot of CAC meetings. Um, <laughs> and if you are not passionate, there's no way it's going to be sustainable for you a lot much like teaching um even though there are a lot of passionate teachers who do leave the classroom but in order to stay in the work you have to have be driven by that work because there's so many obstacles in your way and there's so the day is never over and that is what's going to drive you to continue the work it's similar to that in terms of needing to have that passion behind the work to keep you going yeah and so yeah to, to kind of piggyback off Chanel, it isn't a true nine to five. I was just saying that I was trying to compare that in relation to the work we do with Ily. But yeah, you do need to, sometimes it's weekends. Um, if, you're, if you're in the community at community events, your schedule could look a little crazy. Um, you might need to drive from the south side to the west side, somehow get downtown. Um, so there, there is a lot, there's a huge transportation piece, especially if you're out in the communities. Um, it, but like I said, sometimes I'm in schools, sometimes I'm talking to legislators. Today I was at an education law conference. Tomorrow, what is tomorrow like? Tomorrow I'll be in the office working on a project. And so every day looks different. Now with Ily though, like if anyone who's interested in or cares about education, Again, it's called Illinois for Educational Equity. So we are open to everybody, anybody who lives in this state. And we have monthly movement meetings in the community where anyone is welcome. Um, and so if you are interested in getting involved in educational issues, especially if it's one of the three Chanel uh, spoke of funding, disrupting the school prison pipeline, and um, protecting undocumented, undocumented students and teachers, you can definitely come out. Um, but yeah, like again, today we're going to a community event uh, <laughs> right after this to talk about, you know, gun violence in Chicago. And then tomorrow, tomorrow I don't think I'm doing anything, but this weekend I know there's a g good chunk of Ily members who will be in the community talking about Senate Bill 1. Next week, I think we have a, our regional stride team, team meeting. It, there's just a lot. And so it, every day looks very different. And we're volunteers. Uh, <laughs> we didn't mention that, um, yeah. but this is an organization built by the people, made by the people, ran by the people, um, which I appreciate. Um, so the the big chunk of the people doing the work are volunteers who have day jobs, but know it's very important the work that we're doing um, to sacrifice their time to to get involved. Thank you all so much. I know, like, we're running over on time. So is there any last thing, thoughts that you'd like to share? Yeah. Um, I, I want to leave with this quote that I learned from over the weekend. Do not do for others what they can do for themselves. And what that means is basically, as a community organizer, as a black woman who is a community organizer who grew up on the west side of Chicago, who was fortunate enough to go to college here in Illinois, I am not responsible for 
uplifting the community by myself. What I am responsible for is bringing people with me because when you have organized people, you have organized power. And that's what a lot of people in Illinois do not realize. Like We have a lot of organized money in the public and the private sectors. But when the civic sector comes together and organizes their people, we have power. And so as my role as an educated woman who is also a community organizer, no, I am not the face of that community. In fact, I'm going to be all the way in the back <laughs> because I'm a servant leader. And with servant leadership, you are not seen, you are not heard. You uplift others because I'm not the voice of the Austin community. I'm not the voice of the west side of Chicago. In fact, I'm going to uplift those unheard voices that people just did not even consider could be powerful. That's my role. So I will leave you with that quote. <laughs> well, well, that's a great <laughs> yes, it is. But to piggy off of uh, what Taylor so uh, beautifully said, I would like to offer a quote too. Uh, <laughs> uh, my quote would be, uh, don't let others tell your story for you because yes. you might not like what they have to say. Yes. Amen. And uh, I think that's a good segue into like this. Uh, what I want to speak about is uh, there's a lot of people who have unrest who are very upset about the current uh, state of politics, the current state of education, the current state of the budget, current state of violence, the current state of perception of the South Side, the West Side, yet they're the same ones who are in their living rooms watching TV and yes. talking about it to someone else. Oh, she's taking us to church. Or, or <laughs> Facebooking it. Yes. Um, if you are in unrest, if you are upset about the current state of things, then you have to get involved. You have to tell your story because there's a lot of politicians, a lot of people who are money hungry, who are power hungry, who are going to change your story to fit their narrative to push their agendas. Do not be a tool, do not be a vehicle for these corrupt people. You need to speak your truth because the power of stories has been shown and proven for generations and generations. You need to stop talking on the couch, go outside, and do something about it. And so my quote, a wise woman once told me, ain't no power like the power of the people. Because the power of the people don't stop. Hey, amen. Okay, so to add to um, Chanel's point and Taylor's point, at some point you've got to stop complaining and start doing. Like, that is my biggest issue as someone who has been organizing. There are just, again, there's so many issues in just education alone. Don't get me started on health care and voting rights and the budget. You got to get off Facebook, you got to get off Twitter. It's not enough to write on a legislator's, you know, timeline something. You need to get out. Today, last weekend, I literally went to a very conservative district and walked around and knocked on doors. And I don't even have kids. Like, I don't have a child in this state who is in public school. I want more people to get involved. Again, people power is the ultimate power. And so, if you are tired of the state of education or healthcare, voting rights, whatever, please get involved. Please start organizing. Reach out to community organizations. See what you can do. That is my piece. <laughs>
Thank you. All right, ladies, thank you so much for your time. We look forward to speaking to you all again. This is always an education and always a pleasure, <laughs> at least on this side. So thank you all so much for listening. Stay tuned for our next endeavor. <laughs>